welcome to the Gautrain Talks podcast station, the place to be for all matters related to the Gautrain and how it came to be South Africa's first ever rapid rail link. Joining us today as we look back on 11 years of operations for the Gautrain Management Agency and explore some of the lessons learnt, we chat to a man who's been involved with the project almost from the start, that's current Chief Executive and former Chief Operating Officer, William Dax. William, welcome. Let's start with some background and how you first came to be involved with the Gautrain Management Agency back in 2010. Dylan, I became involved in 2010 by joining the GMA. Um, I joined it from the National Treasury, where I was in the PPP unit, the Public-Private Partnership unit. Um, But it was kind of after 10 years of involvement from the Treasury side. So it was a project that I was very familiar with. Um, So moving into my first job at the GMA, I was head of technical services, um, a largely undefined role, which I spent some time defining, moved on to chief operating office and finally ending up where I am today. So your relationship with Gautrain goes back 20 years, which arguably there couldn't have been too many people currently who have such a long-standing relationship. Can you cast your mind back to the late 1990s or the early 2000s or 2000 when you, when you first got wind of the Gautrain project? And, and what were your initial thoughts when you heard about this rapid rail link system to be rolled out in, in Gauteng? And you bring a memory back to me. I remember driving to um, the provincial treasury offices in downtown Joburg with my then boss at Treasury, a guy called Michael Schur. And we met the head of provincial treasury, Paddy Maharaj. And Paddy said, Michael, William, I'm going to introduce you to this maverick guy. His name's Jack van der Merwe, and he's in charge of the car train. And for heaven's sake, just keep an eye on him. He'll get things done, (laughs) but keep an eye on him. So a very funny kind of kickoff beating. Um, And I then spent a number of years just making sure that kind of processes were followed, feasibility studies were done properly, um, trying to add as much value as possible. But um, great working with a team that Jack had built around him at the time. Must have been fascinating to see this this project roll out literally from the start, from scratch, to the first bit of sod being turned, first hole dug, and seeing the evolution of the of, of, of this incredible large scale project. It was was absolutely fascinating, and kind of the theme for me was doing it as a PPP though, you know it wasn't this wasn't just business as usual, government building things, and then hoping that they get maintained and operated well. This was really about trying to crowd in private sector involvement, investment, innovation. And it's, I won't call it an experiment because, you know, it had been done around the world, but certainly a novel way of developing infrastructure in South Africa. Can you remember what the first sort of reactions or your interactions with the private sector was um, on news at this this large-scale rapid rail link project would be rolled out in Gauteng? Yes. I remember initial meetings were, are you for real? You know, you're going to build this rail system and you want a lot of skepticism, to get involved. I would imagine. Um, I think, that it, I wouldn't say skeptical because there's optimism in it as well. Maybe just disbelief, you know, such a big project um, for a really small startup PPP program. Um, 
but a lot of optimism and excitement. And interestingly enough, I bumped into one of the private sector guys who works in the banking sector a couple of years ago. And he said, William, I remember meeting you for the first time and just thinking, this isn't going to happen. And I looked at him and said, well, I remember meeting you for the first time and thinking, this isn't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yet it did. You know, public and private met, um, found each other, and I think delivered a fantastic project. Let's get down to some specifics now. And what, what for you were the, some of the key features of the development phase as it relates to operations? And what did you need to get right from the start? So I've got to come back again to this concept of a, of a PPP because it is so different from normal infrastructure procurement where government kind of designs or gets people to design it, builds it, and then tries to operate and maintain it, that infrastructure itself. So this was saying to the private sector, whatever you design and build, you've got to operate and, and, and maintain it. In the case of Khartoum, for another 15 years after you've, after you've built it. So if you design it wrong or you build it wrong, you're going to live with the consequences. And I think that sounds great in theory. It is great in theory. It makes complete sense. But the experience over the last, um, I'm going to say 15 years, maybe a bit of the development period and a bit of the operating period, is what that means in reality, you know. How do you get someone in the private sector to think 15 years ahead from an operational point of view when he or she just kind of wants to build it and, and move on? So so everyone had a vested interest, obviously, yeah. in ensuring this, this project was sustained and, and was successful and was pulled off. Absolutely. And I mean, I've got to say, you know, it, I'm glad we're talking about lessons learned. We should be talking about lessons still being learned because the book isn't written yet. You know, we find out for real whether the whole project and the PPP worked in 2026 when we get the asset back. So is it the asset that we wanted? Did the private sector actually build build and main, maintain it? So those final chapters, they're still being written. If we look specifically at the development phase, what for you were the lessons learned from that particular phase of the Gautrain project? My big takeaway is that government can't just walk away after having signed the contract. It does require a quite heavy government oversight and involvement in the development phase. Not in the sense of saying to the private sector, do this, do that, don't do this. But in terms of saying, why are you doing that? Are you meeting the specification? And I'm going to check and hold you accountable if, you, if you're not. So that, that involvement then kind of translated into having quite a big team of specialists, mostly technical, but all sorts of other skill sets as well, to just make sure that government was represented at every meeting, at every input, being able to review designs, because ultimately the asset is a public asset. It belongs to government. It's got to be built. It's got to be built right. So we had teams of engineers who were uh, out on site every day, climbing into holes, measuring concrete, um, the kind of the kind of stuff that seems mundane, but with hindsight, I think added a very important quality assurance layer over all of this.
Welcome back. We are still with William Dax, the Chief Executive and former Chief Operating Officer of the Train Management Agency. Looking back at 11 years of operations and some of the lessons learned, William, we ended off that first segment looking at some of the lessons learned from the development phase of the Train project. But what about once the operations phase was now embarked on? What were some of the key elements in the initial stages of that operations phase? The first thought that comes to mind is becoming customer-centric. You know, and I'm sure people listening to this podcast who, who've traveled on, on the car train will say, I don't care how it was built, right? Yes, that's interesting. Oh, the tunnel's so deep, et cetera, et cetera. What they care about is whether it works for them. So we had to change. And when I say we, I'm going to say from the province side, the GMA side, and from the Bombella side, the private sector side, from being a construction project to being a customer-centric project. And it's it's a big shift. It's a big shift. It's a very big shift. Um, It involves so much more than just kind of technical operations. So this is where your marketing and your communications becomes important. How much do you charge people for what trip? You know, these are things that really, really matter. Because you had no reference point, I would imagine. That's right. That's right. A completely new service, never been done before. Yeah. And we had a contract that had all sorts of interesting things in it, like customer satisfaction surveys. And we had to figure out, what does that mean? You know, how do we go and get feedback from, from, from customers? So it really was a learning and doing process evolving from this development period into, in, into operations. And it was a long transition. You know, the first train carried passengers just before Soccer World Cup 2010, and we only emerged fully from the development period kind of mid-2012. So that's a two-year kind of transition between the, between the phases. We only really, um, I think, got the final sign-off for the construction works as late as 2014, if I remember correctly. So it's not as though, wow, okay, today is the day, development period over, operating period starts, very much around that kind of evolution. Can you remember your thoughts and, and feelings when, that, when the first train ran in, in 2010, just before the, the Soccer World Cup here in South Africa? I do remember it very, very well. I foolishly went to Rhodesfield to try and catch that train, and I found hundreds of people queuing. I think there was that sense of excitement. This is fantastic. We want to be on that first on that first train. With hindsight, I should have gone to Santon and gone gone the other way. Um, got home with uh, my family and just thought, what a great day! What an achievement! And an incredible achievement. I mean, a lot of hard work, a lot of long hours, and then you were just starting. And like you said, now shifting focus from the almost the nuts and bolts of the machinery, the holes in the ground. Now looking at a, at a more customer-centric focus for, for Gautrain going forward. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. And kind of getting back to that theme about kind of develop, development period and operating period being linked through this, this PPP, became obvious that we had got some things wrong. You know, the first thing which, which happened was that we kind of used up all our train capacity. We didn't get enough trains. So we had overcrowding. And again, if we think of it from a customer point of view, that wasn't that wasn't good. You know, we should have, with hindsight, been able to have a bit more flexibility in the numbers of trains that we had available. 
Um, maybe our contracting model was a little bit too 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 rigid. And again, the, kind of this customer centric approach. I think from um, the car train side, and I'll include Bombella in this, is flexibility is key. You've got to be able to respond to customer needs, customer demand, and not be so focused on contracts and and you know what we designed five or six years ago. A small example would be um, when we signed the contracts, no one had ever heard of apps, you know. Um, websites were in their absolute infancy, and we've had to evolve in terms of now having useful apps where you can load value on your card. We've had to invest a lot in our ticketing systems, information systems, things that just weren't even known at, at, at the time. So that theme of flexibility and adaptability is something that we've got to look at going forward. Were there any other key features as you moved, you said 2012 from development phase into operations phase, that anything that stands out for when you ticked over from development to operations? There were quite a few legacy issues in terms of the of, of, of the construction. You know, um, we were delayed a year, I think, with a tunnel that had more water coming into it than it should have. So that had to be that had to be resolved. Um, we had some legacy issues around disputes. I know that's another podcast. Um, please do listen to that, by the way. It's a fascinating topic. Those disputes probably took another three or four years to finally resolve. Um, so from a GMA point of view, we were um, kind of switching between this customer-centric operating period and then trying to resolve these legacy issues from the development development period. So that's definitely kind of the standout memories that I have. Looking back on 11 years of the Gau train, is there anything you would do differently if you had to start again? And, and, and is the dispute subject matter you talk about, is that something you would do differently? Are there any other things you would do differently should you start again? I first got to say that the contract that we signed and the process that we followed were good. You know, So nothing stands out in terms of saying we made a mistake. Having said that, hindsight, of course, shows that there was things that worked out differently to what had been anticipated. So my kind of overall comment would be, other than inventing a time machine to kind of go back and say, 2008, William, please don't do this, would be to make sure that all our contracts, our PPP contracts, have are more flexible. You know, so coming back to that idea of being able to buy more trains at, at a time that was that that was required would have been a great idea. Um, being able to accommodate change. So another good example would be kind of the technology evolution to make sure that our PPP agreement could also adapt to that evol that rapidly evolving situation. So so that for me would be kind of what what I would do differently. Any advice for someone embarking on a, on a project of a similar scale or similar nature in the space that the Gau train is in? My advice would be to acknowledge right up front that you're in for the long haul. You know, um, Gau train is probably a 50-year project, um, maybe even longer, you know. Um, so my involvement, as long as it's been, you know, 20 years, um, probably isn't isn't long enough 
you know. So anyone starting out on this, take that 25, 30-year view and be in it for the, for the long haul. The other bit of advice would be kind of be very clear on your objectives and your processes. The thing with time is that you kind of, you can lose your way in a, in a, in a project. Um, and what Cartrain, I think, did very well was state its objectives right up front and say, this is what we want to do, this is we, what we want to be, and these are the processes that we'll follow to get there. Now, it sounds terribly dull and mundane. I hope listeners are still still paying attention. But it is important, you know, that kind of continuity and certainty about what what we're doing and why we're doing it is absolutely, absolutely essential. Lastly, you, you touched on the technological evolution that we've been through and how the Gautrain is at so adapt. If you were to look ahead to the future of Gautrain operations, what does the future look like from an operation specifically point of view? And do you have that flexibility to, to adapt as you go along? Dylan, we've got to develop that flexibility. The way I see the world of transport evolving is that it's going to be mobility as a service. People planning their trip from A to B and Gautrain being part of that trip. Now, technology is going to be the enabler of that. I think that private cars... Um, for various reasons, environmental being probably the major one, have got to diminish and decrease. And people are going to substitute for that um, kind of a door-to-door service. We've got to place our train as being part of that door-to-door service. We'll carry people the big distance, you know, getting from Tswane to Joburg, for example, we'll do 90% of the actual physical distance. But we've got to link in with people who will kind of do that first and last mile. And that linkage will be through technology. So you would say that public transport integration is a big part of the future for Gautrain? Yeah. I'd even go a little bit further. I think we're going to move away from the concept of public transport because many of those trips will actually be private. You know, e-hailing services, your Uber, um, uh, our contracted services with minibus taxis essentially also a private service. So I think it'll become it'll become transport or mobility rather than this concept of public transport versus the car. I think we're going to move beyond that. William, thank you for your time and your input. We, we value your insights and your learnings from the Gautrain project as it extends back as much as 20 years You've been listening to William Dax, the Chief Executive Officer and the former Chief Operating Officer of the Gautrain Management Agency, looking back at 11 years of operations and discussing some of the key lessons learned. To listen to this and other interviews about the Gautrain, please tune in to our podcasts at Gautrain Talk Station. You can also access further material on our website. That's www.gautrain.co.za or follow us on Twitter. Thank you.